the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. All right, good afternoon to you. Welcome to the Wednesday on Wednesday. Hello. We wish it were Wednesday. In a, in a moment, I'll tell you why. Welcome to the Thursday, August 11th edition of Lifeline. Craig Roberts keeping you company on your ride home, wherever you might be headed on this Thursday. And uh, yeah, a little bit discombobulated around the old radio ranch today. And if you were listening earlier this morning, you would have thought to yourself, What's up with two hours of silence? Yeah, well, it's been a little inside baseball for you. It's been an exciting day with a pretty significant area-wide power outage that uh, had us off the air scrambling. And, of course, just as soon as the generator arrived... So do did uh, our friends with PG&E get the power back on. So we're grateful for that. And uh, here we are yet once again. So if you were wondering earlier in the day what was going on, now you know the inside story. We're going to share more inside stories with you today, though um, not on a topic as mundane as electricity, but rather when it comes to global relations, and most specifically, America's largest trading partner that is also growing into one of America's largest antagonists. And I suppose if you know the history of communist China, well, if you know the history of communism, you would probably look at this and say, well, what all did we really expect after all? And maybe therein lies the problem, that uh, our expectations have been nowhere near related to reality. We've been happy for decades to enjoy the benefits of cheap labor coming out of China, which means cheap products on American store shelves. But there's a price to be paid for all of that cheapness, and in particular, in effectively economically propping up this nation that is not friendly toward the West. It's never had a history of being friendly toward the West. And even though you would think they would treat the United States and our allies with kid gloves, given the fact that we are their number one customer, that's not based in reality either. We're going to get some details now in the latest saber-rattling, this related to the recent visit by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to Taiwan and pretty near threats of almost taking us to nuclear war over that. What's that all about, anyway? Well, Stephen Mosher joins us with some insights. He's an internationally recognized authority on China and broader global population issues. He is the president of the Population Research Institute and author of the newly released Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order. And, Stephen, great to have you back on the program. Stephen, are you there? This may be more. I am, yes. Oh, there you go. Okay. Sorry about that. When when the power goes off at a radio station, lots of things happen. 
<laughs> and, and it takes and sometimes of, a couple of days to figure happen. out yeah. what got switched off that should have been on and what got switched off that should have been turned off. So my apologies. Welcome. Give us your perspective on this. I, I say saber-rattling, and for the most part, that's what it seems to be. I would like to think that there's enough of a sense of um, both literal as well as economic self-preservation in Beijing that much of this hubris is simply that hubris. But I got to wonder at the same token, there have to be at least some layers in here of a real threat. Tell us what they are. Well, the real threat is that uh, the Chinese Communist Party is an expansionist superpower now. Uh, we have been having elevated it to superpower status under the misbegotten uh, idea that we were going to enable the rise of a middle class in China who would demand human rights and end the one-party dictator China. We certainly enable China's rise by giving access to our consumer market, uh, the largest one in the world, by financing uh, their development of a, a heavy industry base. Uh, but we haven't uh, seen any any signs of peaceful evolution uh, politically into a more open democratic regime. That was the bet that we placed on the table back in the 1970s with the Nixon opening to China. It looked like it might be working in the 80s with all of the demonstrations in Shanghai and then 1989 in Beijing, and that ended with the bloody massacre. And so ended the, the, the democratic movement in China. And, and under Xi Jinping, the current leader, you know, he has actually set a timetable for taking back Taiwan, um, and his due date was 2020. Well, guess what? He's he's two years overdue now. He's taken back Hong Kong, and next on uh, on the table for him to de- devour is Taiwan. Uh, Taiwan is a much harder nut to crack, of course, than uh, than Hong Kong because it it has a pretty good moat, a hundred mile wide stretch of open ocean that uh, any invading force would have to cross. But make no mistake, they have been uh, building up their Navy. They have been building up an amphibious landing force. A Marine Corps now exists in the People's Liberation Army. It didn't before. Uh, they've been building up their the number of missiles they have. Uh, and, of course, they, uh, they just showed us how they could uh, stop shipping and shut down all of Taiwan's ports and airfields simply by holding uh, military exercises uh, for a few days. Um, that, that, that suggests that Xi Jinping is very, very serious about moving against Taiwan at some point in the future. Well, they certainly have demonstrated they have both the uh, manpower and the resources to be able to pretty much uh, overtake just about any country in the region. That said, help us maybe dig a bit deeper into what I'll call, for want of a better term, a significant miscalculation. Now, certainly part of the notion here of being, and I'll I'll kind of put this into the grossest of terms, American greed, and by that I mean goods and services that could be acquired out of China for significantly less money, equating to not only savings, on the store shelves for American consumers, but increased profits for American corporations. All of that, I suppose, in the wide, wonderful world of uh, um, uh, free trade is is not necessarily a bad thing. But I'm wondering if the big miscalculation here was, as you sort of suggested, that maybe somehow this was going to help tame the communist Beijing 
monster or or maybe even a miscalculation in thinking that, well, if we become besties with the number two communist superpower in the world, that they maybe would put us into a better position to help keep under control the number one superpower of communism in the world at the time, of course, being the Soviet Union. And I guess if we look back in hindsight, uh, the, 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 the first question that comes to mind is, well, how'd that work out? <laughs> well, and, and how that worked out is as follows. We know that in uh, October of uh, 1991, following the, the sudden and to some extent unanticipated collapse of the Soviet Union into its constituent republics, uh, Deng Xiaoping summoned the senior leadership of the Chinese Communist Party to Beijing. Uh, Deng was at the time, of course, the the, uh, the ruler of chief facto uh, chairman of the Chinese Communist Party. And uh, he told them, the old Cold War is over. America has won. The Soviet Union has been completely defeated. The new Cold War is now beginning between China and the United States, and we're going to win that one. Now, that was back in 1991. We we have a transcript of that, that meeting, so we know it took place. That was 31 years ago. So people need to realize that uh, the Chinese Communist Party, and we have to be careful to distinguish between the party and the people, the people are the first victims, the first and foremost victims of the Chinese Communist Party have been uh, the Chinese people, 100 million of them or more have died at the hands of the party. Um, but yeah, that was a declaration of uh, a Cold War, and so China has, in effect, been at war with us across all domains, except the kinetic. I mean, we're not firing bullets at each other, thank God, but been at war with us across all domains uh, for the last 31 years. And I think that until 2016, no president had acknowledged that. Uh, we did have a, a four-year period where we put tariffs. Uh, thanks to President Trump, we put tariffs on Chinese goods. We started bringing industry back to the United States, started bringing those high-paying factory jobs back to the, the United States, and, and raising the standard of living of the American worker. Um, but uh, now, you know, we seem to be moving in the other direction. And quite frankly, I'm, I'm terrified by the fact that the current occupant of the White House has on three occasions said, uh, we will absolutely defend Taiwan if it's attacked. Well, and then every time a senior White House staffer has had to walk that back and say, well, uh, we don't really say whether we're going to defend Taiwan or not. We, we practice strategic ambiguity. We're going to keep Beijing guessing. Well, that behavior keeps me guessing about who's really making the decisions in the White House, and it certainly must embolden uh, the, the leaders in China to think that, um, that the... Uh, the President of the United States is not clear on what our stated policy should be in this in this instance. Yeah, and that's very disquieting because, uh, you know, it's one thing to, uh, you know, um, beat one's breast and promise to, uh, you know, to tame the uh, the schoolyard bully. But uh, if that bully uh, puts up his dukes, as we used to say, and uh, and challenges you, well, you got to be prepared to put up or shut up. And uh, we've already seen uh, another quasi-alley of ours that uh, uh, is dealing with the fallout of a menacing neighbor, referring specifically to Ukraine and, and the uh, unjust attack of Ukraine by 
Russia, and yet there we've had to largely keep silent. And, you know, to, to say we're going to defend them uh, is going to suggest what, that we in, end up getting into, a, if not a proxy war, a direct war with China? I mean, I, I don't think anybody can afford that, uh, not least of which uh, is uh, the nation of Taiwan. With us today is Stephen Mosher. He's an internationally recognized authority on China. We're discussing Nancy Pelosi's recent visit to Taiwan. And, of course, that's elicited a great deal of um, very public protest, both in the terms of protesting come out of leadership in Beijing, as well as, um, you know, war games taking place, uh, you know, probably an eighth of an inch shy of the 12-mile limit. Uh, off the coast, and um, it all raises questions concerning, well, not only what are China's long-term goals here, but just how much of a threat do they pose to the West and, quite frankly, the entire planet. If Xi's goal was to have Taiwan under his wing by 2020, he's a bit overdue, and he's watching his counterpart in the Far East, Russia, collect up their spoils, how soon before a sense of jealousy begins to overtake, and what would the potential ramifications be? We'll talk about that dynamic as our conversation with best-selling author Stephen Mosher. The book, Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order. I'm Craig Roberts. Lifeline continues in a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're taking a look at the recent visit of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to Taiwan, ostensibly over there in a trade mission, talk about further development of uh, the chip industry to try to deal with some of the global shortages, and particularly those we've been facing here in the United States. Well, that, of course, set off a firestorm in Beijing. They see this as a hostile action by the United States. They have long viewed with John Desai uh, any sort of um, relations, uh, trade relations or otherwise, between the United States, well, any country for that matter, and Taiwan. They see Taiwan as their territory in the same fashion that Putin, I suppose, sees Ukraine as his. And so saber-rattling, war games, much of it going on, great hubris, as I mentioned earlier, but when we try to sort of peel back the layers of this complicated political onion, uh, we end up finding just more layers. What exactly does this mean? What are the long and short-term implications of Beijing's protesting and the recent presence of the House Speaker in Taiwan? Well, Stephen Mosher is with us to offer some insights. He's an internationally recognized authority on China and broader population issues. He happens to be the president of the Population Research Institute and author of the recent book, the bestseller, Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order, published by Regnery Press, the same fine folks, by the way, who happen to own this radio station. Stephen, I'm curious. I mean, you know, talk is one thing. Uh, you know, there's the old adage, don't poke the bear, let him sleep. And I, I wonder if there are aspects of this visit that, in a sense, politically poked the bear. And um, while certainly the war games increase in recent days uh, is of concern, I, I'm just curious from your perspective, 
Um, how disquieting, how disturbing should this be in terms of of the potential implications for the entire world, for that matter? Should Beijing step in and decide they're going to do to Taiwan what Putin did to the Ukraine? Stephen, did we lose you? Well, he's going to call him back. I apologize, folks. It's been one of those days here around Radio Ranch, as I mentioned earlier. If you happen to join the conversation a bit late, we had a power outage. And uh, in these days of computers and whatnot, boy, all things just seem to go sideways and haywire. And uh, we're still trying to kind of uh, dig dig out from some of the the aftermath. I commented to a colleague in the hallway earlier today looking at all of this uh, electronic carnage. Um, Better off if we were in the candle-making business. Uh, Of course, with my luck, we'd wind up burning the joint down. In any event, uh, we've got Stephen Mosher back. And uh, Stephen, sorry you didn't hear my my question there. Let me just briefly repeat it, and that is that based on this recent visit by Nancy Pelosi, and clearly it has upset leadership in Beijing, Realistically speaking, in your opinion, as we look at Beijing's reaction to this, and they obviously feel very threatened by it, they're very, very territorial with regard to Taiwan, they don't want to see other nations having any sort of diplomatic relations, should that somehow cement the idea that Taiwan is sole and separate as opposed to a a subsidiary, so to speak, of China. I guess the question on all of our minds is, how likely is there the possibility of a repeat performance, meaning she sees what Putin is doing and saying what's good for the goose is good for the gander and go in and militaristically take action to first and finally pull Taiwan into its control, much the way Putin has been trying to do with Ukraine. How, how, How much of a threat is that possible reality? Well, I think it's a great threat. It's been a threat since the founding of the People's Republic of China. The Chinese Communist Party has never um, reached a peace agreement with the nationalists on Taiwan, uh, who over the last 70 years have ruled the island independently of the mainland. And, you know, Taiwan has never been a part of the People's Republic of China. Uh, It was a part of the Republic of China, but by the time that the People's Republic of China was founded by Mao Zedong, uh, Taiwan was de facto independent. There have been repeated crises over Taiwan in 1954 and 1958. Again and again, uh, the threats have been made. The military threats from, from China have never really stopped, Craig. But right now, China now, the difference is that China now has the muscle in order to enforce a blockade and, in fact, is getting closer and closer to launching an invasion. Now, I don't hold uh, Nancy Pelosi personally responsible for Beijing's response. I think that she simply gave them a pretext to carry out military exercises that they were probably planning already because we have uh, a, a audio videotape of a meeting uh, that took place several months ago where they talked about detailed planning for a future invasion of Taiwan, uh, for a future um, you know, blockade of Taiwan's ports. And I think that's what this was. I think that uh, Nancy Pelosi going over there simply gave them uh, an excuse to go ahead and do what they were planning to do anyway. So let's let let's let Nancy Pelosi off the hook here, and let's remember that that uh, Hong Kong only wedded 
uh, Xi Jinping's appetite. Uh, the story of Hong Kong, of course, is that they were supposed to be uh, de facto independent until 2047. There was a 50-year agreement signed between Great Britain and the People's Republic of China, the Chinese Communist Party, that the Communist Party tore up in 2017 under Xi Jinping's rule, and then now, of course, are in absolute control of that once uh, great, uh, you know, uh, international city is now, you know, no different really than Shanghai or Beijing. And, and that's only the first step. The second step, of course, is Taiwan. And it won't end there. I mean, uh, China claims the entire South China Sea. It regrets the loss of Mongolia, uh, which is an independent country. It claims that Nepal and part of, uh, of, of the Turkish republics in Central Asia belong to it historically. Uh, it has irredentist claims uh, in all directions of the compass. It believes that it once uh, owned the, the, the uh, territory of Okinawa, for example, which Japan would, uh, would have strong opinions about. But, um, so I don't think it will stop at Taiwan. Um, I think that's simply the next way station on uh, the Communist Party's road to global domina- dominance. You know, and it's frightening because there are parallels in history to a certain degree. I mean, we look at Germany's designs on expansion, uh, both in an easterly and westerly direction. In Europe, certain Italy came in along the same time and said, well, if you're going to carve up East and West Europe um, and uh, march your way all the way into Moscow, then we're going to head south onto the continent of Africa. So it's not the first time uh, in modern history and even, quite frankly, memorable history that we've seen world powers decide that what they have is not enough. They want even more. And I've got to imagine there's a bit of an attraction there, too, as much as the the return, quote-unquote, of Hong Kong back to uh, mainland China uh, came with it some tremendous economic benefits. I would suspect there's a degree to which that would be true with Taiwan as well, wouldn't there? Oh, absolutely. Uh, The Chinese Communist Party would love to get their hands on uh, the chip manufacturing capability of Taiwan and the other uh, high-tech uh, industries that are based there, and the highly educated, hard-working workforce on Taiwan would certainly increase uh, China's GDP significantly by, by 15, 20 percent or so. So um, the, Taiwan would be a prize even greater than Hong Kong. And You know, I had friends in Hong Kong in the past say, uh, they'll never take Hong Kong because they would be killing the goose that lays the golden mm. eggs. We're too important financially. And what that overlooks is the overwhelming desire of the leaders of the Chinese Communist Party, Xi Jinping, to reassemble the Chinese empire at its greater, greatest extent, and then look beyond that to other territories as well. Uh, China, historically, has ruled all under heaven. And what that means is that the rule of the emperor uh, was technically not limited geographically to areas under his direct control. It was theoretically indefinite, you know, infinite. And, and I think Xi Jinping views the world in the same way. He views the world as too small for our two competing systems, political systems, economic systems, to survive. We cannot both occupy the planet, and he believes that one will be dominant in the future, and he intends for that to be the People's Republic of China. So this is for the whole ball game. We find ourselves, unfortunately, in a, in a second Cold War. No one wanted a, no one wanted a second Cold War. Uh, certainly none of us who lived through the first won a second Cold War. But if, you're, if your uh, adversary, if your enemy says you're at war, then you're probably at war whether you want to be or not. 
Yeah, and if anybody out there is keeping score, as you point out, it's not the first time we've been down this road. And, and ironically, you know, I was in Hong Kong in 1997, just a scant uh, three, four weeks prior to the handoff. And in talking with um, the residents there, I, I've heard largely the same thing. A few were skeptical, but others said, yeah, you know, the one thing that we've got going for us is that this is sort of the, the Wall Street of, uh, of of Asia, and there is no way that Beijing is going to uh, to do anything that's going to uh, uh, threaten the golden calf here. And that, of course, completely discounted what happens when there's a regime change. And the one sitting now in the president's seat um, has designs on things like becoming the eternal leader, which, in fact, Ping, uh, Xi Jinping has managed to do by a change in the Chinese constitution. And so there, there's clear, clearly some large and significantly threatening global designs here. And it would serve us well to be mindful of the fact that while they may be our biggest trading partner, they are certainly not a friend of ours by any stretch of the imagination. I'll be careful again to reiterate what Stephen said a few moments ago. Our enemy here is not the Chinese people. In fact, largely, we have very friendly relations with the Chinese people. Our enemy here is the communist Chinese leadership in Beijing who, not unlike the leadership of the Kremlin in Russia, it's all about doing as much collateral damage as necessary to get what they want, to build the empire that they feel they deserve so they can leave their own legacy. How much destruction, how many lives are ruined, how many lives are taken in the process, quite frankly, whether your last name is Xi Jinping or Putin, you really don't care. And that, maybe, is the broadest lesson that we need to be mindful of. Greater details inside of Stephen's new book, Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order. Again, recently published by Regnery Press. You'll find it at bookstores across the Bay Area, as well as through Amazon.com. 534 from KFAX. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.